Welcome to the Renaissance Podcast. If you would like to participate in online worship, sermons, and children's programs, then check out the Renaissance Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Now, let's get started. Good morning, all. It's so great to be with you. Um, I've been doing this long enough to know that this morning feels different. Um, I don't know what else to say. I, um, I liken it to maybe a heaviness in the room. Does anyone else feel it? Um, can I just talk just for a moment before I get started? Uh, if, I, if, I, if I could, um, I want you to know it doesn't escape us what's happening around us. Um, Tyler even prayed this morning, you know, as we were finishing up in worship, that, that this darkness that is around us would, would, would leave in Jesus' name, that there's just something that's happening. And um, we've been watching the news reports. We're seeing the same news reports that you're seeing, that, that the, um, the COVID cases are spiking again. The city is possibly going to get shut down again tomorrow. And, and I know that lays into heavily into the people's businesses and to their work and all of that, but if I could just for a moment remember or remind all of us that when those, when those COVID numbers spike, I, I need you to hear me when I say this, they're, they're not just numbers, but they're actually people. They're people who are, are, are getting sick and many of them are, are even dying. And so before we're so quick to dismiss them as just numbers and, and the, the way the government wants to use things to shut us down and all that, can we just pause for a moment and just remember that they're real people and their lives are being impacted by this. So um, that being said, I just, I just want us to, to be aware of that and that we, um, if we're mindful of that um, this morning as we've already prayed and maybe even throughout our week that we might just continue to lift up those people that we know are impacted by these things, um, that we could use this opportunity if the Lord would turn, um, as we sang earlier, beauty from ashes, like beauty from what appears to be destruction, that maybe the, the Lord would foster a community in us that we just haven't had in a long time. Maybe we would be a people who would be busy about praying for one another, asking if there's anything we can do to help, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Is anyone picking up what I'm saying here? So anyways, I, I just want to start with that. Um, and knowing where we're headed from here is, is hard to know. We don't know exactly what's going to happen. We are planning Christmas, as Stacy mentioned. What is that going to look like? I don't know. We might all be watching Christmas service in our pajamas. Now, how awesome would that be? I'm just saying. <laughs> like, I, like, I don't care at this point. I'm like, okay, I'll stay home too. Right? Like, that's fine with us. But, but we want to obviously do what the Lord wants us to do. And we want Jesus' name to be heralded and made famous. And when we celebrate the birth of Jesus at Christmas time, it's a big deal for us. So we're really leaning in to see what God would do. But we don't know. So until then, can we just love one another and love God through all of this? Um, loving one another just might look like trying to be socially distant right? When you don't want to be. There's nothing I hate more right now than wearing a mask when I go into stores. I, I loathe it. It just bothers me. It gives me a headache. I don't know how to explain. I know I'm a baby when it comes to this stuff. I hate it. I hate it. Uh, my friend John Hockaday reminds, reminded me this week that his mask stinks really bad. <laughs> and mine is starting to smell really bad now too. Maybe I should start washing them. I don't know. But, but we just have to be aware of the people around us. Some people aren't as comfortable as you are in all of this. Some people don't have the faith that you have, and that's fine. We're just going to love one another through all of this. So we'll just kind of keep ourselves spaced out a little bit. There's enough room for us to move around, and we won't shake hands unless, you know, both parties agree. And, you know, hugging, let's throw that out the window right now. 
Um, so anyways, um, all right, I'm almost out of time now, so let's get started. So if you have, if you have a Bible with you, I want to read uh, from Joshua, the book of Joshua. It's in the Old Testament. If you have a Bible with you, the Old Testament's the first part of the Bible. It's like way back in the beginning. And I want to read out of chapter 5, uh, just a few verses, verses 13 through 15, just to give us a little context, and then we'll jump into what I think the Lord would have with us. So I want to read it uh, in its entirety right here, starting here in chapter 5, verse 13. It says this, Now when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes, and he looked. And behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us? Or, or are you for our adversaries? And he said, the man said, no, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. And now I have come. And so Joshua fell on his face to the earth and he worshiped. And he said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet. For the place where you are standing is holy, he says. And Joshua did so. What a strange little story. Um, let's, let's just real quick pray. If you're visiting with us and you're like, gosh, they do an awful lot of praying. I'm like, well, you did come to a church, just reminding you. <laughs> so we should be at least about praying. So let's just pray real quick. God, help us to understand what you're saying to us. Help us to understand who you are from this story, how Joshua navigated life with you. And may we also learn how to navigate life with you as well. So Holy Spirit, we give you um, the right to come in and to poke around in um, our business. We ask you to open our eyes and that you would open our ears to hear. And we say these things, believing that you can do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I, I want us to be mindful of this fact that this, the story of Joshua is really a story that God has laid out for us so that we could better understand who he is as a person. All the, all the stories in the Bible we've been saying sort of on repeat here lately are, are just God's way of explaining to the world around him who he is. And, and this book in its great history that it is, um, these are stories of men and women who have gone before us. And so when we look to those stories, we're first seeing how God has interacted with those people and their culture culture in their context, all the while sort of defining and describing who God is. And we believe because God is immutable, it just means this, that God never changes. So if we see God responding to a group of people in a particular situation, one way for them that we could probably surmise that God would at least respond in a like situation for us as well. So we're learning who God is. And we're seeing here that Joshua has found himself in charge of God's people, the Israelites. And I want to remind us, before we go any further, how Joshua found himself in this place. Now, we have the liberty of looking back at Joshua's life through the lens of history or antiquity. We kind of see what God has done. But may I remind you of this, when God is dealing with Joshua and Joshua's learning to deal with God, all of this is happening in real time. When God asks Joshua to do something, Joshua has to think to himself, God, is this really you? God, is this just my good idea? God, are you really leading me here? So all of this is happening, and he doesn't have the liberty like we do of instant replay, so to speak. Everyone knows the ref blows the call when the instant replay is shown, right? But when it's happening in real time, it's oftentimes easy to miss what's happening. 
So Joshua finds himself in leadership. And how did he get there? Well, let's go back into Joshua chapter one, just by way of quick review to see how Joshua landed where he is today. And I want to read a couple of verses out of uh, Joshua chapter one. Uh, verse two, it says this, that Moses, my servant is dead. This is how Joshua became in charge because Moses died because Moses was in charge and now Joshua is left standing there. So God is talking to Joshua and says, now, therefore arise, go over the Jordan river, right? You and all of these people into the land that I give, that I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel. So God is saying, Moses has died. You're going to carry on where he left off and take the people into the promised land. And he says these words, verse three, in every place that the sole of your feet or your foot will tread upon, I have given to you just as I promised to Moses. So now the promises that Moses had, Joshua now carries. And that's significant for us to understand. Skipping down to verse five, he says, no man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you, he says. Now, Joshua was Moses' apprentice, so he saw a lot of the dealings that God did with Moses. He saw many of the miracles that Moses performed with God's hand helping him. And now he's telling him, I was with Moses, and now I'm going to be with you. And he continues, and I'm not going to leave you, or am I going to forsake you? Does that sound like familiar language for us as believers? And verse six, it says, be strong and courageous for you shall cause the people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. In fact, three different times in the next few verses, God uh, repeats that command to Joshua, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous. Why do you think he's repeating that to Joshua three different times? I'll tell you why. It's because he's everything but strong and courageous. In fact, we could say this, he's weak and afraid. But the Lord says, but, but there's no reason to be weak and afraid. There's no reason to feel that way because just as I was with Moses, you remember Moses, right? You remember the things that I did on Sinai. You remember the other things I did at the Red Sea. You remember all of the other things that I did for Moses. I'm going to be with you as well. Now, again, we're reading these stories long before Joshua marches around Jericho seven times and shouts and the walls fell down. Long before he does all of the other conquests that he does, Joshua is just having an encounter with God and God is placing him in charge. And all of a sudden he feels a bit overwhelmed. But the Lord's admonition to him, I think would be the Lord's admonition to us in our times of feeling afraid. It's to be strong to be courageous. There's really no reason to fear. I love how the Bible is so good at accurately describing the human condition. This is exactly how you and I would feel if we found ourselves in a similar situation. In fact, if we could just be honest, since we're in church, can we at least be honest for a day with one another, right? That 2020 has been a very, very tough year for us. I'll be the first to admit 2020 has been the, the, the dream crusher of a year for me. Everything I thought I was, I was going to do this year has not happened. Everything I planned to do this year did not come into effect in my life. And I'm beginning to wonder if 2021 is going to be any different for us. I don't know. And all of this to say, if, if the Lord was telling me right now, Jeff, you need to be strong and courageous. And all the things I'm calling you, I, I'm struggling in that, to be in that place. That I, I do feel weak and I, I do feel afraid. 
which is why this book is so powerful to us because it's, it's telling the stories of people who are just like us, experiencing many of the same emotions and some of the same conditions that we find ourselves in. Yes, it might be called something else in their day. They don't call it COVID-19 or pandemics or anything else. They, they call it the Hittites and the Amorites, or they call it some other huge obstacle that they've got to overcome, but they have to go through it with God or choose not to. And that's the place that Joshua's in. And that's the place that we'll find ourselves in. Going to verse 13, we see this back in Joshua chapter five. The Joshua was, was by Jericho, the city of Jericho. And he's there possibly because he's, he knows that um, the Israelites who have just now crossed over the Jordan River and they're camped there at Gilgal, and they now know that they're going to begin their conquest to take back the land. Just so you guys remember this, the Israelites have been displaced from the promised land. God has brought them back, but there are people currently living there. These people are the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the termites, all the people, right? <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, preacher jokes, right? I got them all. So anyways, but so all those people are currently living there, but God is going to use Joshua and all of the Israelites to push them out because they don't belong there. It's a form of judgment. Maybe we'll talk about that later. Maybe we won't, but God is going to push them out. And to get to, into that promise, they have to conquer Jericho first. Jericho is the large battle that stands right in front of them. There is no way around it. They can't, they can't go around it or ignore it. They have to go through Jericho. And if they don't, then they'll, they'll miss what God is calling them into. And, and when he's sitting outside of Jericho um, by himself, and I love this, the, the Lord is just slowly zooming in on Joshua. Right before it's been the Israelites have celebrated Passover. The Israelites crossed the Jordan. The Israelites were all circumcised. But now we're just talking about Joshua as he sits by himself just outside the fortified walled city of Jericho. And something strange happens to him. It says that he lifts up his eyes and looks around. And the question I had when I first read this was why was Joshua's eyes looking down? I think that's a unique detail that he puts in here, that his head was down. Is his head down because he's lost? He's in despair, despondence? I don't know. Possibly is his head's down because he's just thinking, he's meditating, he's contemplating. I don't know. I just know this, that oftentimes when the head is down, it's just a, it's a picture of the posture of prayer. Have you ever asked people to pray? Here, watch what happens. Let's pray together. Look, Joey just automatically, his head starts to drop. It's just a picture of what we do. So is it possible, eh, I'm reaching, I, I'm reaching, I know. But is it possible that in the midst of the fear, the anxiety that Joshua finds himself in, he's in a place of prayer, sitting outside, this huge thing he doesn't know how to conquer with his head down in prayer to God. And all of a sudden, it says, and behold, he looks up and there's a man standing there. Now, the word behold also strikes me because it, it, it implies something there that like something suddenly happened. Like all of a sudden, like it wasn't there before and all, now all of a sudden it is. It's, it just happened, which just so you know, it, 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 it sounds like God's doing something when things like that happen. Have you ever found yourself in a position where you've been praying about something, considering something, and it almost seems like out of nowhere, all, like things just change for you? Anyone else? It's okay. 
I'll talk over here. So you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, we're like, like, like it just, it feels like you're in prayer and think, and, and out of nowhere, it appears God like responds to, to your, your prayers. Like God just gives you an answer to something that, that maybe you prayed like a week ago to, I just, but out of nowhere, it just pops into your mind or there's a, okay, that's what I want you to pick up here. This is what's happening to Joshua. And Joshua, just so you know, we believe is the one writing this uh, book to us. And, and so it's, he recognizes that this is significant to him. It says, uh, suddenly, behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua says to him, are you for us or against us? Are you for us or for our adversaries? I mean, Joshua sees this man standing with a sword. And I mean, they're about to do battle against the Canaanites and the Hittites and all those people. And he sees a man with a sword. So he's certainly, it's a wise question to ask. Are you with us or against us? That type of thing. I just pause here for a moment just to help you see what's really working here. That this man is no mere man. In fact, most commentators believe that this is what we call a, a Christophany, or it just means this, that this is a picture of the pre-incarnate Jesus come to earth here. What I mean by that is this, is before Jesus was born in a manger, right, before he incarnates himself and takes on flesh, every once in a while, the Old Testament will tell us that an angel of the Lord, or the Lord will come and wrestle with man. If you know the story of Jacob, an angel of the Lord will come. And oftentimes those are just true pictures of who Jesus is coming to earth and dealing with mankind in a moment. And then he disappears again, whatever that looks like. So most people believe that this is in fact the Lord that's standing in front of him with his sword drawn. And so Joshua runs up to this man with a sword and wants to know, are you with us or against us? Just before we throw down real quick, I just want to know, right? He has no idea what he's getting himself into, as neither do we some days, right? And I love the response of the man. Look here in verse 10. And, then, and the man says, no. He says, are you with us or with our adversaries? And he says, no. He's saying, I'm not with either one. And I find the answer to that question perplexing and almost freeing to understand. When we fully understand what this person is saying, what, what the Lord is actually saying to Joshua when he's asking, are you with us or against us? When he says no, it tells us something about who God is. It's interesting because when we first read about Joshua taking the promised land and doing all the things that God wants him to do, and God says, I'll be with you. I'll never forsake you, uh, just as I was with Moses, so I'm going to be with you. So you could certainly picture that Joshua, when he goes before this person, and he says, are you with me or against me? You would expect the Lord to say, I'm with you. Of course I'm with you. But he doesn't say that. Does that seem strange to you? Just nod and I'll move on. Yes, it seems strange because I thought Joshua was in fact doing everything God wants him to do. But the fact that he answers this question this way, it points to something greater for us to understand. I'm jumping way ahead of my notes, but it pops into my brain now, so I'll just say it. Hear me when I say this. God is never going to align himself to mankind. God is never going to pledge his allegiance to a man. When, when Joshua's asking, are you, are you with us or with them? The Lord's like, uh, no. Do you feel the weight of that? Do you see what's coming after that? Like the impression is like, excuse me, son, <laughs> right? You, you, you need to be asking the question, are you with me or not? That's really the question that you should be asking. Not if I'm with you, but are, are you with me? That's really what the Lord would be driving at here. So he says that we should be giving our allegiance to him. And he says, now I have come in verse 14. 
With the sword drawn, the picture is this. The Lord has not come merely as a spectator, and that should be helpful to us. But when the Lord interacts in our life, he's never coming just as a spectator. That he's engaging in our life. We see that ultimately in his son, Jesus. That as John, right, would say, that God so loved the world, that he gave his only son, Jesus, that, that he didn't just come to the world and go, oh, how lost are these people? How sinful are these people? How, oh, how needy are these people to be, you know, to have a, a remedy for their sinful condition? No, God doesn't just say those things. He actually engages into that situation in their lives. And that's what we see a picture here with Joshua and the man standing with his, his sword drawn. He's come not to be a spectator, but to get involved. And the fact that his sword is drawn tells us something too, that God's long suffering delay of judgment was over and the iniquity of the Amorites was now full. That's a note I wrote. Let me just try to unpack it. Long before Moses, right? Long before the 400 years in Egypt, long before all of that stuff, long before even um, Abraham is established as a nation. God had said something in Genesis chapter 15 about the Amorite people. And he says, the Amorite people, iniquity is not full against me. It just means this, that the Amorite people are not God-fearing people, that they are sinful people, and they do not respond to me. So I'm going to judge them, but I'm going to wait until the iniquity of them is full. Hear me what I'm saying. This This is that judgment that has come. That for the last 400 some years, he's allowed those people to live in the promised land that belonged to Israelites. He let them live there. But now because of their sinful ways, God is coming in to judge them and is going to push them out. And he's going to use Joshua and the Israelites to do so. And the picture of Jesus or the Lord standing there with a sword is a reminder that God has come to judge his people. It's not very popular to talk about God being judging right? We want to say God is loving. Yes, he's loving. Of course he is. His son Jesus is the exemplar of all of that, but God comes to judge. And what we are uh, are spared is God's judgment through Jesus Christ. Does everybody know what I'm saying here? Right? So just know this. God is a judge. Of course he is. And this is a picture of what's happening here. And after all of the questions are asked, are you with us? Are you against us? The commander of the army says, no, Now I have come, judgment is coming. It says, Joshua fell on his face. This is the proper response when one is confronted in the presence of God. This is just, it's it's proper for us to to just lay out and and prostrate ourselves before the Lord. When When God comes in all of his holiness and his glory, that it is completely fine for us to just get low. I, did, I, 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 just, I, just, <laughs> I just said that. I didn't even write that. I just said that it is oftentimes our proper perspective to get low before the Lord. But how haughty of a people have we become, become some, di- some, some days where we believe that, you know what I mean? Like we, we refuse to bow before the Lord and the work that he's doing. How, how rebellious of a people do do we get to be sometimes? So we just think we get to do whatever we want to do and the Lord just has to deal with it. (laughs) That is the proper response when confronted in the presence of God. And he asks this question of the Lord. What does the Lord say to my servant? To me, his servant. 
He's, Lord, what do you want from me? It's such a great question to ask. Lord, what do you want from me? I don't know about you, when I wake up in the morning, my, my phone, my smartphone is wanting my attention. Is anyone else? Right? Before you even like, go pee or anything, right? It's like Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all the things, right? It wants your attention, wants your attention, wants your attention. So I've been saying this for many weeks now. I'm trying to parent my phone. So I put my phone to sleep before I go to bed. I don't talk to it, right? It's in another room oftentimes. I just try to stay away from my phone. And I'm trying to train myself when I wake up in the morning that the phone's not the first thing I go to. What if the first thing I went to every morning, maybe if the first thing you went to every morning was something like that. Lord, what do you want from me today? (laughs) What if we just started our day that way? Like, what do you want from me? Like before we did anything else, breakfast, before we pulled out the calendar, before we thought about anything else, and we asked this question of God, what do you want from me today? It's a great question to ask God. Moses, or Joshua rather understands that, and he asks the servant, what do you want? And the commander of the Lord's army says to Joshua, verse 15, he says, take off your shoes. <laughs> what? Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy. This is real similar to what Moses experienced when he was at the burning bush, if you know that story and all of that. He takes the sandals off and it's, it's a unique thing that's happening. But just the thing that marks it for me is that this seems to be the beginning of what, um, it marks the beginning of Moses' great journey with the Lord and everything that he does in the burning bush. Take your sandals off, you're with holy, on holy ground. And then Moses goes and does great things. And now we're seeing Joshua as he begins his conquests and he encounters the Lord. And the Lord says the same thing to him. Take your shoes off, this is holy ground. So just for me, it marks the beginning of something. But the question is, what do the sandals represent in all this and that? Now, some people believe that the sandals are actually just a representative, representative of like the human condition that we walk around in the earth and we just pick up dirt and dung and all all kinds of stuff, right? This is back then before sanitation and all that. And they're walking in all kinds of things. And what the, what the angel of the Lord is telling Joshua is take your sandals off. The dirty, filthy part of the world is on you and separate yourself from that and stand with me in holy ground, okay? Is that, maybe that's what this is. It's a reach. We don't know, but it sounds good. Yes, just nod and I'll move on. Yes, it sounds good. But here's the beauty of it. That's why we don't have to take our shoes off anymore. Someone say amen. Woo! Because some of your feet is nasty. I'm just saying that right now. I don't want to see those things. No, we don't take our shoes off. Why? Because we don't need separated from the sinful things in our lives because Jesus has done that for us. Jesus is that that mediator between us. Is this making sense to anyone? And the Bible says that that our bodies are now temples of the Holy Spirit. So the the holy ground or where the the Lord dwells is inside of us now. So check this out. This is holy ground. Guess why? Because I'm standing here with the Lord. Maybe this is. Maybe where you are is holy ground. If the Lord is in you and with you, then then you see how the Lord would establish his kingdom on the earth through people like us who establish holy ground everywhere they go. So I just find this fascinating that God is just leading Joshua into this understanding. And Joshua took his sandals off. He didn't have to, but he did. And you don't have to. You don't have to surrender to Jesus. You don't have to do those things. But you can if you want to. That's the invitation that the Lord would lay out before you. Do you want to have your sin remediated? Do you want to have righteousness imputed to you? Do you want to have a right relationship with God? Do you want to have victory in your life? Do you want to have the Holy Spirit come upon you and empower you to live a different life? If the answer is yes to that, then it is through Jesus Christ and you get to choose to do so or not. It's up to you. 
One of my favorite things is to tell people that. Although it felt like I was shouting just then. I apologize. <laughs> I just feel like I just did. <laughs> I have two minutes and 35 seconds left, and I got a whole bunch more I want to say. Gosh darn it. All right. Let me... Okay, there's one thing I want to say. Um, I'm, I'm, so, I'm so struck by the fact that this is the passage that I would land on, on the Sunday before Election Tuesday. And by all that, it just means that if you're visiting here at Renaissance, know this, we love to, I love to pick a book of the Bible, right? And I start chapter one, verse one, and I just work my way through. And so back in January, we started Joshua chapter one, verse one. And we did that for a couple months and then boom, COVID hit, right? We took some time off. We did a bunch of other things. And then uh, a, a few months ago, we started meeting in person again. We're still doing some one-off sermons. And a couple weeks ago, I just jumped back into Joshua chapter five. And all of a sudden we land on this one passage where the question is asked of the Lord, are you with us or against us on the Sunday before the election? Now, I not, might not be explaining this very well. Let me reread verse 13 to you one more time in the way that I read it the first part of this week. So here it is, Joshua chapter 5, verse 13. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him. And there was something in his hand. And see, I read this this week. The man was standing in front of Joshua, and he had a mail-in presidential ballot in his hand. And Joshua runs up to him and says, are you for us or are you against us? And I feel like this, we've almost made like our, our world, particularly in America, is so split right now. And all we want to know, right, because you've, got, you've gotten all the texts and emails from all your Christian friends telling you how you should vote. Is anyone? Right? Okay, well, I've gotten all yours, just so you know. So, stop. <laughs> Here, here's the reality. I'm going to vote, okay? I'm just not telling you who I'm voting for. I know that's the thing. We just want to know, who are you voting for? Are you, are you with us or are you against us? Are you this and that? And oftentimes we even put the Lord into that place. Lord, as if somehow the, the Lord will only be with the victor. Here, here's a quote I wrote um, from Dale Davis. Again, he's written a book on Joshua, the commentary that I've been studying a lot. And, and he says this. Sometimes we need to see that God is not so much partisan as he is sovereign. That it is more important to recognize God's position than to know God's plans. Th this is the worst cliche I could possibly give you, and it's not original to me, you've heard it a thousand times, but it has to be said that Jesus called the Lamb of God, okay? Jesus is a lamb, he is not a donkey or an elephant. Okay, And if we follow the language of Paul, the apostle, who writes in Philippians chapter 3 that we as believers, we are citizens, not just of this world, but we are citizens of heaven. 
Okay, now I'm not, it's not to say that we get to disengage with what's happening around us. We can't just bury our head in the sand and go, oh, election, it's my election. Who cares about that? I'll just wake up on Wednesday and see how it turns out. That's not what we're called to do. We're called to engage the process, and we do so because of our love for one another and our love for God. Paul was constantly reminding the people in front of him that there is a Savior and a Lord, and his name is Jesus. And Paul used language like that intentionally because at that time, people thought the savior of the world was Rome and the Lord was Caesar. In fact, they oftentimes called Caesar Lord. And for Paul to say, no, 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 you belong to another kingdom. It's a kingdom of heaven where there is a real Lord and his name is Jesus. I find it striking that we land on this passage the week before we have an election. And maybe it's just a God's loving reminder that he has no allegiance to one party or the other. And if you think he does, um, you're wrong. <laughs> I love you. You're wrong. Here, here, if everything I know about Lord, he is 100%, 100% for Joe Biden. And he is 100% for Donald Trump. And he wants both of them to repent he wants both of them to come into knowledge of his son, Jesus Christ, that they might be saved, that they could have eternal life. He is 100% behind them should they get into his plan for their lives. That the Lord cannot be co-opted for any other thing. And, and, as, and as wonderful it is, as it is to talk about partisan politics right now, it, it, it will fade in a couple weeks or months, and then we'll be on to the next thing. So maybe just God's loving reminder to us is that we don't run to him and say, whose side are you on? But maybe the Lord would say to us, <laughs> you should take your shoes off, son. You should, you should remember who you're talking to here. The uh, All right, I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> I have so many things I want to say. Um. I also feel like, like I should apologize to some of you right now, right? So I'm going through it in my mind. I'm replaying everything I said. So if I've offended you, no, it wasn't my heart. And if you're offended, I apologize. But I will leave you with that and the Lord. So you take it to him. It was not my intent to, to offend anyone here. So, um, Okay, I feel better. All right, so let's just, let's just pray. Let's pray. God, we, we, we engage um, our culture around us because you desire us to. That we care for one another because Jesus has commanded us to love each other. In fact, the apostle John, I think it was, who said that, records for us rather that um, that we will be known, that we belong to Jesus because of our love for one another, that there is actually an, an ethic at work in our lives that tells other people we belong to the Lord, and it is love. 
And so, Lord, we engage our world through love of one another. And so that's what we desire to do. And we desire to do that in every day in particular. But even this week as we head to the polling place, Lord, just help us be mindful that we are loving one another. And people can absolutely sit across the aisle from us on all kinds of um, situations. And we cannot love them any less. The admonition is not to love people who think like you or love people who vote like you, but to love one another. And so, Lord, I pray in the, in the vitriol of what this election cycle has become, Lord God, that the voice of Jesus Christ, your son, and of his love for us and one another would be louder. I thank you that we get to look into Joshua's life and see you lead him and guide him. And God, we feel weak and afraid sometimes too, but you still lead us and you guide us. And so would you be with us as we go on our way today? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Renaissance Podcast. I hope that God has spoken to you through this message and that you're encouraged to continue pursuing Him. If you would like to get connected with what's going on here at Renaissance, then find us on social media or visit us online at rendicator.org. Remember to check out the Renaissance Church at Home page for online worship, sermons, and children's programs that are being offered during the COVID-19 outbreak.